Chapter 10 of The Dark Other This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mary Maxwell The Dark Other by Stanley G. Weinbaum Chapter 10 Rescue from Abaddon Pat slid dizzily from her perch on the table and sank heavily to a chair. The interruption of the mustached keeper of this den of contradictions struck her as extremely humorous. She giggled hysterically as her wavering gaze perceived the consternation in his sharp little face. Some forlorn shred of modesty asserted itself, and she dragged a corner of the red-checked tablecloth across her knees. "'Get out!' said Nicholas Devine in that voice of rasping metal. "'Get out!' he repeated in unchanging tones. The other made no move to leave. Yeah, he said. Listen, bud, this place is respectable, see? You want to pull something like this, you go upstairs, see? And pay for your room. Get out. There was no variation in the voice. You get out. The both of you, see? Nicholas Devine stepped slowly toward him. His back, as he advanced upon the bartender, was toward Pat. Yet through the haze of intoxication, she had an impression of evil red eyes in a chill, impassive face. Get out. The other had no stomach for such an adversary. He backed out of the door, closing it as he vanished. His voice floated in from the hall. I'm telling you, he called, clear out. Nicholas Devine turned back toward the girl. He surveyed her sitting in her chair. She had dropped her chin to her hand to steady the whirling of her head. We'll go, he said. Come on. I just want to sit here, she said. Just let me sit here. I'm tired. Come on, he repeated. Why, she muttered petulantly, I'm tired. I want no interruptions. We'll go elsewhere. Must dress, she murmured dazedly. Can't go on street without dress. Nicholas Devine swept her frock from its place in the corner, gathered her wrap from the chair, and flung them over his arm. He grasped her wrist, tugging her to an unsteady standing position. Come on, he said. Dress. He snatched the red-checked tablecloth from its place, precipitating bottles, ashtray, and glasses into an indiscriminate pile, and threw the stained and odorous fabric across her shoulders. She gathered it about her like a toga. It hung at most points barely below her waist, but it satisfied the urge of her muddled mind for a covering of some sort. "'We'll go through the rear,' her companion said, "'into the alley. "'I want no trouble with that rat in the bar. "'Yet.' He still held Pat's wrist. She stumbled after him as he dragged her into the darkness of the hall. They moved through it blindly to a door at the far end. Nicholas swung it open upon a dim corridor flanked by buildings on either side, with a strip of star-sprinkled sky above. Pat's legs were somehow incapable of their usual lithe grace. She failed to negotiate the single step and crashed heavily to the concrete paving. The shock and the cooler air of the open steadied her momentarily, she felt no pain from her bruised knees, but a temporary rift in the fog that bound her mind. She gathered the red check cloth more closely about her shoulders as her companion, still clutching her wrist, jerked her violently to her feet. They moved into the gulch of the alley, and here she found difficulty in following. Her tiny high-heeled pumps slipped at every step on the uneven cobbles of the paving and the unsteady footing made her lurch and stumble until the dusty stretch of the alley was a writhing panorama of shadows and lighted windows and stars. 
Nicholas Devine turned an impatient glare on her, and here in the semi-darkness his face was again the face of the red-eyed demon. She dragged him to a halt, laughing strangely. "'There it is!' she cried, pointing at him with her free hand. He turned again, staring at her with grim features. "'What? There! Your face! The face of evil!' Again she laughed hysterically. The other stepped to her side. The disturbing eyes were inches from her own. He raised his hand as she laughed, slapped her sharply so that her head reeled. He seized her shoulders, shaking her until the checkered cloth billowed like a flag in a wind. "'Now come,' he muttered. But the girl, laughing no longer, leaned pale and weak against a low board fence. Her limbs seemed paralyzed, and movement was quite impossible. She was conscious of neither the blow nor the shaking, but only of a devastating nausea and an all-encompassing weakness. She bent over the fence. She was violently ill. Then the nausea had vanished, and a weariness, a strange lassitude, was all that remained. Nicholas Devine stood over her. Suddenly he pressed her body to him in a convulsive embrace, so that her head dropped back and his face loomed above her, obliterating the stars. Ah, he said. He seemed about to kiss her when a sound, voices, filtered out of somewhere in the maze of dark courts and littered yards along the alley. He released her, seized her wrist, and once more she was stumbling wretchedly behind him over the uneven surface of the cobblestones. A numbness had come over her. Consciousness burned very low as she wavered doggedly along through the darkness. She perceived dimly that they were approaching the end of the alley. The brighter glow of the street loomed before them, and a passing motor car cut momentary parallel shafts of luminescence across the opening. Nicholas Devine slowed his pace, still clutching her wrist in a cold grip. He paused, moving cautiously toward the corner of the building. He peered around the edge of the structure, surveying the now deserted street, while Pat stood dully behind him, incapable alike of thought or voluntary movement, clutching desperately at the dirty cloth that hung about her shoulders. Her companion finished his survey, apparently satisfied that progress was safe. He dragged her after him, turning toward the corner beyond which his car was parked. The girl staggered behind him with diminishing vigor. Consciousness was very nearly at the point of disappearance, and her steps were wavering unsteadily and doggedly slow. She dragged heavily on his arm. He gave a gesture of impatience at her weakness. "'Come on,' he growled. "'We're just going to the corner.' His voice rose slightly in pitch, still sounding harsh as rasping metals. There still remains the ultimate evil, he said. There is still a depth of beauty unplumbed, a pain whose exquisite pleasure is yet to find. They approached the corner. Abruptly, Nicholas Devine drew back as two figures came unexpectedly into view from beyond it. He turned back toward the alleyway, dragging the girl in a dizzy circle. He took a few rapid steps. But Pat was through, exhausted. At his first step, she stumbled and sprawled, dragging prone behind him. He released her hand and turned defiantly to face the approaching men, while the girl, lying on the pavement, struggled to a sitting posture with her back against the wall. She turned dull, indifferent eyes on the scene, then was roused to a somewhat higher pitch of interest by the sound of a familiar voice. "'There he is. I told you it was his car.' "'Dr. Horker!' She struggled for clarity of thought. She realized dimly that she ought to feel relief happiness, but all she could summon was a faint quickening of interest, or rather, a diminution of the lassitude that held her. 
She drew the rag of a tablecloth about her and huddled against the wall, watching. The doctor and some strange man, burly and massive in the darkness, dashed upon them, while Nicholas Devine waited, his red-orbed face a demonic picture of cold contempt. Then the doctor glanced at her huddled, bedraggled figure. She saw his face aghast, incredulous, as he perceived the condition of her clothing. "'Pat! My God, girl! What's happened? Where have you been?' She found a hidden reserve somewhere within her. Her voice rose, shrill and hysterical. "'We've been in hell,' she said. "'You came to take me back, didn't you? "'Orpheus and Eurydice,' she laughed. "'Dr. Orpheus Horker.' The doctor flashed her another incredulous glance, and a grim and very terrible expression flamed in his face. He turned toward Nicholas Devine, his hands clenching, his mouth twisting without utterance, with no sound save a half-audible snarl. Then he spoke, a low, grating phrase flung at his thick-set companion. "'Bring the car,' was all he said. The man lumbered away toward the corner, and he turned again toward Nicholas Devine, who faced him impassively. Suddenly his fist shot out. He struck the youth or demon squarely between the red eyes, sending him reeling back against the building. Then the doctor turned, bending over Pat. She felt the pressure of his arms beneath knees and shoulders. He was carrying her toward a car that drew up at the curb. He was placing her gently in the back seat. Then, without a glance at the figure still leaning against the building, he swept from the sidewalk the dark mass that was Pat's dress and her wrap, and re-entered the car beside her. "'Shall I turn him in?' asked the man in the front seat. "'We can't afford the publicity,' said the doctor, adding grimly. I'll settle with him later. Pat's head lurched as the car started. She was losing consciousness and realized it vaguely, but she retained one impression as the vehicle swung into motion. She perceived that the face of the lone figure leaning against the building, a face staring at her with horror and unbelief, was no longer the visage of the demon of the evening, but that of her own Nick. End of chapter 10